Hello and welcome to The Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we continue in the epilogue for Dearest Ones, the letters that the Silver King wrote to his family throughout the war. It's early December 1944, and our hero is preparing for his first trip to Paris. Stanley's anticipation for what will be a very full month for him is demonstrated in a letter that he wrote to his family on December 5th, 1944, from A72. Dearest ones, the old mail is still coming, thank goodness. If it wasn't for that, I wouldn't be receiving a damn thing. I don't know why I'm not getting any at this APO. The one I received was written October 2-8 in Chicago the same one in which you complained because of not hearing from me. It doesn't look like it will ever straighten out. We'll have to be patient and be satisfied with what we get. Tomorrow is the big day. I'm going to Paris to see what it's like to live again outside of a four-wall room. By this time tomorrow night, I should be blind from scotch and champagne. Bill will meet me there Wednesday. We'll have one night together that should be the wildest night Paris has ever seen. When I come back, if I can remember what I saw and did, I'll write you all about it. Our champagne ration came in tonight. This month we only got two bottles per man. With eight men in the room, though, we have ample for a good party some night. I think we're going to save it for Xmas. A few packages have been received in the room, and everyone is saving his to eat on Xmas. One day we're going to find a tree for the room so we can put all the packages under it. It surely won't be anything like at home, but it will be as pleasant as we can make it here. There isn't much news here. I spent most of the afternoon ironing my clothes for tomorrow. I'm getting to be a good housemaid, although I have a Frenchwoman doing my laundry. Now I have four to my credit. My next mission will be with the new crew. I'm sure we'll get along swell. Please keep writing. I'll do the same. Keep well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. The significance of this letter from the Silver King, which is dated December 5th, exactly one month from his first bombing mission, is that having just related that he will be flying with his crew again, he is now telling his family that he's been assigned to a new crew for his next mission. In my decade of research about the Silver King's War, I was never able to find the information about why he was moved to a new crew. I know that throughout the war, as men completed their mission assignments and were rotated from 
the European theater operations to home, that new men replaced them. It is possible that this is what happened with the Silver King. But the king's closeness with the crew that he trained with at Barksdale in Shreveport, Louisiana, reveal some kind of separation that I remain curious about. What I think happened in the King's case was he got a promotion. He was moved from the group he was in to a different spot in a different formation. Stanley's summary of Paris was simple. He loved it. He wrote a long descriptive letter to his family on December 9th, 1944. Dearest ones, the mail surely is getting better. Last night I received your letter of November 21st, the fastest yet to come through. Gee, but I hope it continues that way. For at this rate, your packages should be arriving soon. I'm really looking forward to them. Before I went to Paris, I was getting too much sleep. But now that I've returned, I can't get enough. There's so much to tell about my two and a half days in the gay city. I hardly know where to begin. Although I might start out by saying there isn't too much that I remember. You might deduce from this that I was drunk the majority of my stay, and you would probably be right. We took five-fifths of scotch with us and brought back nary a one. So you see what I mean. I arrived there Tuesday noon. My first impression of the city was as I had always imagined it would be. The artistic beauty of it all is really breathtaking. The old architectural structures of the last century were beautiful. You could see a stroke of genius in each brick and stone. The streets are wide, busy with traffic of every type and description, and the sidewalks are jammed. There really wasn't any evidence of war that I could see. Most surprising of all was finding a very efficient subway system throughout the entire city. In fact, I would say the Paris subway is much better than that I saw in New York, and perhaps even a little more crowded. The king continued to say, As soon as I arrived, the Red Cross billeted us in one of the hotels taken over by the Army for officers. Our particular hotel was nothing much to speak of, an ordinary second-class hotel, as you might find anywhere in the States. From there, we went to the clothing PX and to the coffier. I bought a few things and got the first haircut in two and a half months. Then it was back to the hotel for dinner, as that was the only place we could eat. Then we went out to the nightclub section of the city. It's still blacked out, so there are no fancy neon signs or fronts to the place. The first joint we hit was a small bar where we met some women. 
and obviously that's all I can say about my first day and night. Let it go at this. The French women are the sexiest on earth. The next day, the king became a tourist, and he decided to take a stroll down the Champs-Élysées, and on the way saw the Arc de Triomphe and the Eiffel Tower, and said that both structures were very impressive. And on the famous avenue, he saw the most beautiful women ever. You never, ever saw such crazy but pretty hairdos, and the clothes are stylish and beautiful. The majority of the people speak some, if not good, English, especially the women. Then we stopped in a bar and got tight off champagne and spent the rest of the evening there. There was dancing in a small floor show, and the orchestra played American tunes, even a rumba. The women are good dancers. Some can even jitterbug. Believe me, it had been a long time since I had so much fun and enough said about the second night. Thursday afternoon, we finished the scotch and saw a French stage show, and I planned to do some shopping, but unfortunately my money ran out before I could get around to it. I hope to be able to buy you some perfume when I go again the end of this month. And so there you have the complete repertoire of my first trip to Paris. I didn't see as much as I had wanted to. But what I did see cannot compare with any city I've yet seen during my travels. In my opinion, there isn't another place comparable to it. I would have written you last night, but by a stroke of misfortune, I was drafted to chaperone a dance for the enlisted men given by the Red Cross here on the base. I had to go after the women in a nearby town and after the dance see that they got back safely. I was dead on my feet because I hadn't had any sleep to speak of, and this morning I was up long before breakfast. As soon as I finish this, I shall go to bed. I received a letter from Dad also. Yes, he really wrote me, and it's a letter I wouldn't take anything in the world for. Honestly, yours and his letter left me with the warmest glow. I know my morale hit the ceiling. Please continue to write, and above all, keep well. I love you and miss you, Stan. This dense letter from the king to his family made it clear that he had a new girlfriend, the city of Paris. He was in love, and over the two years, almost to the day, from when he and his family appeared at the auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama, before Stanley got on that train in January of 1943, his life in those 24 months became amazing. A lot of work, some joy, a lot of partying, and a war. Stanley's Paris days fueled his fast-changing life. Within a week, he's writing on December 11, 1944. Dearest ones, the mail is coming through swell now, thank goodness. 
Last night I received your wonderful letters of November 2-4 and 2-7. You have no idea how welcome they are. I'm glad, too, my mail is reaching you after Xmas. It should be faster. Thank goodness you're all well and that the baby is fine. It's hard to believe she's already a month old, and she'll probably be many more months before I see her. It's going to be embarrassing when she grows up and asks me how cute a baby she was. Please take some pictures. From missing his new niece, Margie, the king moved over to business and described his latest work. Last night and today, I was duty bombardier for the group. It was my duty to see that the bombardiers had all the necessary information to fly the mission. I was up practically all night, but it was worth it to see how everything is prepared for a mission. It was very interesting. I wish I could tell you about it, but for security reasons, I can't. And that goes for the other questions you asked. Now that I'm flying with the new crew, I'm lead bombardier in a three-ship element. I think I'm going to like it much better than flying the wing. Only time will tell. And the king makes a special point to connect with his dad. When he writes, Dad, I do want to thank you for your swell letter and also for the package. The cigarettes will be worth their weight in gold. We only got two packages this week. It wouldn't be so bad if we could get pipe tobacco also, but that isn't even available. Things are really becoming drastic. However, if I thought I was denying you, I wouldn't have requested them. I had no idea that it was that bad there also. You're really sweet to sacrifice for me, and you know that I appreciate it. Write me again soon, please. There's no other news for now. Please take good care of yourselves and keep well. Write as often as possible, and I'll do the same. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. I have read the Silver King's December 1944 letters many times. Each reading emphasizes the compression of time in those 31 days, where he rises over five weeks to lead a three-ship element between the 5th of November and 11th of December, 1944. As the king's son, I continue to marvel at his rise and maturity. He was ready for the work, and in his writing, humble as ever, but steely and prepared for the job. Stanley wrote to his family on December 14, 1944. Dearest ones, I do hope this finds you well and none the worse for the bad weather. From the radio and paper, we've received reports of the terrific snowstorm throughout the country. I'm happy to say I have received the first package from you. It is the one containing socks, bathrobe, and candy. All was in good shape, too, despite the rough handling it must have had. The robe is swell. Makes me feel a little like a civilian. It will see plenty of service. One thing, though, as one of the fellows remarked, 
It should be a bright red or yellow instead of the same old khaki. Of course, I can always use socks, but they are too good for around here. I'll save them for my trips to Paris. As for the candy, I put the box on the table, and ten minutes later, it did a disappearing act. We all enjoyed it immensely. Needless for me to say how much I appreciate your thoughtfulness. A package from you has no comparison. It gives me the best feeling in the world. I could never thank you enough for this feeling, so please accept my humble and meager thanks. You're the sweetest, grandest, and most wonderful persons in the world, and I love you with all my heart. There wasn't any mail from you, but I suppose I can't be hoggish. The night is still young, though. Maybe some more will come in. Now that you've left Chicago, I'm wondering who will write me about the baby. I do hope someone, as I'm so anxious to know all about her. Gee, I hope they will have a glorious Christmas. I'm surprised you didn't stay for it. I'm fine and taking things easy. I have five and really like my pilot. We get along famously. My pass for Paris comes up January 2nd. It's a lucky thing it's after payday. Please keep writing and keep well. Love to Ida. I love you and miss you, Stan. As the Silver King enjoys his new leadership role, the arrival of his robe and other goodies, we have reached the end of this episode in the epilogue for Dearest Ones the letters that the Silver King wrote to his family throughout the war. And this is part 24. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.